Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You know, I I continue each week to tell you over and over again, but it's so important for me to reiterate the amount of amazing, imperfect, beautiful, heart-centered leaders that I'm meeting around the globe. And today I want to introduce you to Candice Gottlieb-Clark. She is a renowned author. She's a business advisor, a coach, and a conflict management specialist, which I'm really excited to talk to her about that. She founded Dynamic Team Solutions, and she helps businesses strengthen their leadership and their teams through enhanced communication, teamwork, leadership, and conflict management. So Candice, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Deb. It's a pleasure to be joining you today. And I I really appreciate being able to chat with you on your wonderful podcast. You know, I don't believe in coincidence. I am a serendipitous junkie. Energies always align where a meaningful conversation can take path. So I'm going to jump right in with my first leadership question. I always ask people before they want to come on the show is, what are three things that our listeners could know about your style and passion? And I know that you alluded to me that you never want to copy someone else's style or passion. And it's important that we find our own style and passion. So my first leadership question is, tell me where this purposeful soul intent came from and how that landed up kind of being part of your hallmark or your brand or maybe a core belief. Share with us where that came from. It's almost different. I think I look at it almost in hindsight and saying you need to choose your own passion because I had a passion that I just started following. And then I noticed other people professionally seem to have a passion that is, you know, not necessarily, it feels like they're just saying, oh, that seems like a really good one. I'm going to go after that. And so my passion from a very early age, before I even began my business, was to make the workplace a better place. You know, if we're going to spend as much time as we do in the world of work, if we're going to spend a third plus of our most functional years of adulthood in an office setting, we really need to have workplace relations and a healthy environment that makes us feel positive and lets us feel, you know, contented because only then are we going to be good employees? Are we going to be good leaders? Are we going to make positive change in the world? And you know, that came from my youth where I, you know, I grew up with a single parent in a single parent family. And my mother was the breadwinner who I spent my, you know, my growing years with. And she had a job that she hated. She had a job that she felt mistreated. And yet she felt that she needed the stability of income. She didn't quit. She just was unhappy and brought that home with her on a daily basis. So, you know, it instilled it in me at a very young age. I want to make a difference. And it took me a little time into my career to figure out how, But that was a passion that, you know, was with me for so long. And it's only, as I mentioned, when I talk to other people and I learn that theirs is either based on ideas somebody else had or where somebody else seemed to yield success, that they copied that path. And I think that's not heart-centered. You know, if this is what we're talking about, that's not heart-centered. That is mind-centered, perhaps. 
Well, and so many good points. You know, we do spend one third of our life in the workplace. And if you're an entrepreneur, it's probably a little bit more than that. You bring up so many good points because the workplace, we are literally on the heels of getting back to. Many employers have done an HR classification now of hybrid, and there's still an expectation to come in. Remote is a new classification. So the workplace looks very different now, but it's interesting how impactful your mom's, you know, willing to provide and having to provide that obligation as a single parent. That's a good example because they don't always have the space to kind of dream and what if we could do something else? And I don't like using the words, what if? I think that's kind of the the preceptor to get us back into that dream phase that we lose as adults. Mm -hmm. And I love the way you framed it to say, I didn't know what or how, and it took me a bit of time to do it, but you just allowed yourself to keep going until the how unfolded. And then you stepped into it. So beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Okay. My second question is super fun and It has permanent residency on the show and it will for every season because I love asking this question. I love the laughter. I love the facial expressions I see. So the question that everyone gets asked on the show is share with us what imperfections that Candace brings to her heart-centered leadership. I would say one of the biggest ones, and I struggle with whether or not it's a blessing or a curse, is I'm very judgmental. I'm very decisive. I'm very judgmental. I'm very quick at making an assessment. And yet while I say that, I tend to be much more that in my own world than I am necessarily with clients and people that I serve, because that's actually almost the antithesis of something that I talk about and preach, if you will. My concept being vindicate, don't villainize. It's something I speak about a lot in the book in that we're all doing our best. We're all trying to really, I mean, with rare exception, The people I've learned through working with, the people I've encountered in my life, we are doing our best. We are all just trying, right? But we don't always hit the nail on the head when we're doing something. We can be blind to problems that we're creating or that we are not addressing. And so while I know I'm judgmental, (laughs) I look at it more as I'm decisive. I'm fast to make an assessment on something and to know what to do about it. And in that way, it's a little bit of a gift too, but I think it certainly can push people's buttons because I might be very quick to share a thought or an opinion, even if I'm also quick to admit when I'm wrong. Well, and it's a good balance and, and I love it. It's a blessing and a curse and it can look one way in your personal life with family or extended family or friends, yet you curtail it when you're with clients. But again, passion can have a lot to do with that delivery as well. Very, very interesting. I want to talk about your conflict management work that you're doing within your practice. I think it's such a great space to talk about. My background for the first 21 years of my business was in the medical sector, and I spent a lot of time doing expert testimony in court. So being prepped by plaintiff counsel to handle the onset of questions from defense counsel, and I really felt that it honed my ability for conflict resolution, and I would love to hear how you've integrated conflict management into your practice, and has it taken a different I don't even know how to t- how to ask you this. Has it taken a different slant or approach or have you had to use more soft skills given the unprecedented times we've all been navigating the last 2 years? Well, it's almost different than you pose it. As I mentioned, you know, my passion was to make the workplace better. I didn't have a clear direction as to how to get there. 
you know, I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll graduate with a degree in psychology and then I'll go and get a business degree and I'll be a psychologist for businesses. That was the idea I'd entertained. And then there's not really a clear path to making that happen. Right. So <laughs> you just go about finding other things that bring you joy or, or seem like they're a good fit for your skill set. When I became familiar with the world of mediation, that was actually where all of this started to happen. So where I built my consultancy, my initial introduction to this world and this opportunity to create change came from getting trained as a mediator, which I did in the year 2000. And so it's been 22 years. And when I did that, it was just you know, a blink of an eye before I started looking at how can I bring this to businesses? And so the initial function of my consulting practice was specifically on conflict resolution. So it wasn't really that it grew into that. It was more that everything else grew out of the conflict resolution where clients would, would realize that I had insights and, and ideas that could be supportive to them in more places. And then I had creativity on how to build things that allowed me to work with them and create very specialized projects around their needs. But with the current climate and how things have changed, what I've really noticed isn't so much that it requires any different skills from a mediator. It's more that there's more demand for it. And this was not a surprise to me. I think it was a surprise to many. And it began in the beginning of 2021 when we thought we were all going back to work, where everybody thought things were wrapping up before we started seeing the new variants coming out and all this, you know, new struggle starting again, which led to it being now a year further than that. And we're still, you know, some places still on restrictive levels of, of life. But Everybody working from home, everybody being remote, um, all the extra pressures of trying to figure that out, of managing family and home and work in the same space, of being, you know, just limited in so many places, created a feeling of pressure and irritation. And then once we got used to it, which we did, most of us, then it became this issue of going back to work. Are you, you know, people have this mindset of, are you kidding me? I have to go back to the, I have to work with this jerk, with this pain in the butt, with this troublemaker, with whatever they might perceive. And so they suddenly were just laying down the gauntlet to their HR teams, their leaders saying, I'm not working with that person. And, and so the need for conflict resolution and mediation became much more heightened as people started looking at coming back. And that was predominantly in the beginning of 2021, because a whole year and a few months now later, a lot of businesses, as you described, have given into the idea that we're going to just have to be hybrid, that we can't make everybody go back to this is business as usual, because I think they felt that push from their employees. I think that is largely what led to the great resignation. It wasn't the idea that, oh, the work itself is unsatisfying. It's the teams and the people I'm working with are not acceptable to me anymore. And I'm not going to come back to the workplace. I'm not going to re-engage in that same way. I do agree. I think it had some place for the great resignation boom, but I think it was always there. It just wasn't in the forefront mm -hmm. and as noticed as much. And I know in the tech sector, I'm seeing a lot of companies having, there is no return to work plan. It's very interesting. That could be a whole other conversation we could have on. Yeah. Yeah. It worries me. I mean, I definitely think that returning to work on some level is essential to businesses survival because the core of any business is the collaborative nature that allows for innovation. Wasn't innovation the buzzword of like the last decade? And now suddenly we don't care that people aren't working with each other. How is there going to be innovation if you don't have people bouncing ideas off of each other in real time, where they're just the idea came to them and then they sparked with another individual. It doesn't happen when you're remote because you're going to just take care of your own to-do list. You're not going to engage with others because that'll take you off path from where you're going. 
that water cooler talk is, is some of the best conversations and solutions and maybe conflict management too. Yeah. It allows people to work things through and feel validated and connected. It supports community at a company. Absolutely. It's, it's fun times for sure. Okay. My last question is, they all say we have a book inside of us and you have just written your first. And I'd love for you to share with us Where did the passion come for the book and why was this the right time? Share with us the title, the process, give us insight. And, you know, there's many countries listening to the podcast and and, and you might spark an interest or someone's passion who is writing. So share a little bit about how the book came to fruition and congratulations, by the way. Thank you so much. The book was within me, I think like many authors, I knew I had to write a book for a long time. And probably 15 years ago, I started having clients ping me, you know, because I just through conversation, be sharing ideas or, or thoughts they should consider, or I'd speak at an event and I'd be, you know, sharing my wisdom and I'd be, have people come up, you've got to put this down in writing. I need to have this. And so I started scribbling down notes. So I should talk about this when I write a book or I should do that. And it was actually in early in mid 2019. So before the pandemic that I decided, okay, I've got to actually put you know, the pedal to the metal and start working on this. And I created a plan and I I looked at all my notes, which I mentioned that I'd been collecting for more than a decade. And I realized I didn't have one book. I had four books and (laughs) I was going to have to choose which one to start with, which I chose a book on leadership because I think that really leads the path to the others, which include books on teamwork and and one specific to conflict management. Um, There's just a lot that I wanted to be able to impart to the world. And I felt limited in just the one-on-one. So I had this desire to, you know, make the difference in the world that is part of my passion. Let's make the workplace a better place. And there's no better place to start with that than having leaders that are really capable and strong. And going back to the point I made of the vindicate, not villainize, that's something I bring up in the book a lot and tell you the title. The title of the book is find, fix, fill your leadership gap, what you need to know and no one is telling you. And with my work, and I'll do a quick visual of the book. So if anyone wants to look for it on Amazon, that's where we're selling it. Um, But the idea really was that leaders that I'd come across over, you know, every business I'd ever worked in were always really open to learning what they needed to do differently, but they didn't know what questions to ask. They didn't even recognize they were making mistakes. And something I learned very early on that I think is a, a good tool for other consultants to even consider saying when I would work with a leader who is bringing me in for issues with maybe one other leader, or maybe it was with a full team, or maybe it was a conflict going on between a few individuals that were valuable to the company. Because these aren't ones that are necessarily litigious conflicts. These are conflicts that lead to departures that are unwanted. And I'd often say to that leader, if I find that any of this comes back to you, how would you like me to let you know? And that opened up the door to my being able to share with them problems when they did prop up. Because without exception, every leader I said that to would sort of give a self-deprecating laugh and say, oh, of course it comes back to me. I know, I know I'm involved somewhere. It made it so easy to bring it back to them. And it showed me really truly how genuinely they want to do better, but they don't know what they're doing wrong. They don't realize that the conflict on the team, the dysfunction, the lack of accountability is stemming from them. And all of those are what I really teach to in the book is, you know, here are the qualities of leadership that need to exist. Here's what happens if any of them are weak and here's how to strengthen them. So I'm very proud of of the book. I've gotten great feedback on it and some really positive reviews already. So I'm hoping that the world will embrace it and, and to be a better place for everybody in the world of work. 
Well, and like you said, leaders, you know, are lifelong learners, they're avid readers, and and they're always open to lead, to learn, to be better. And none of us are perfect, hence the name of the show, Imperfection. And congratulations, and I love the name, Find, Fix, Fill Your Leadership Gap. Maybe the pandemic was the the final push you needed to, like you say, put the pedal to the metal. And now you got three more books in the fodder file and and uh, we'll look forward to, to you releasing those. So exciting times. I, I'm very happy for you and, and congratulations. And I, I wish you much success on your book. I've co-authored four over my career and I'm writing my first and I know it's uh, it can be a tedious process. I'm in the dip right now. So I'm, I'm developmentally editing, which is always fun. That is the hard part. I can remember that well. It is the hard part. It is. It's because I think I have three books. So when you say that, <laughs> I that resonates with my heart very much. Okay, I'm going to switch to my fab four. And these are just four fun questions about you. And we just we don't want you to think we just want to know what's on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. So question number one, tell us something that we don't know about you. I want to say something really fun rather than something like, oh, I like to go bicycling. Um, something fun about me. Oh, man. Well, I once did trapezing. That was fun. When I was on a vacation, I had the opportunity to do that. I'm a real adventurer. I love to try new things. And that really plays into almost every part of my being. I like to make different plans on my weekends on a regular basis. I don't like to cook the same recipe too frequently. I just like a lot of variety in my life. They say that's the spice of life, right? Yes. Okay. Second question, and you can't use your own book. Share with us a book that you've read over your lifetime. It could be at any age that was really impactful and tell us why it was impactful and who wrote the book and what the title of the book is. Can I do two different books? You can. So the first one that I want to do is one that I read. And and interestingly, you started this podcast during the pandemic and I started a book club, a business book club during the pandemic to have a place to talk about business books with other business people. And one of the books that we read was called Nine Lies About Work with Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Goodall. And it has such interesting notions that I really found, you know, I'd read the notion and I'd be like, oh, oh, I'm going to totally call foul on this one. And by the end of that section or that chapter, I would be swayed to this other belief. And like one of them is that feedback is not necessary. I mean, the feedback is necessary was a lie and that feedback isn't necessary. And it was like, and it brings up different things about management and leadership. And I really found that to have some really interesting and unique lessons in it. And, and so that's one. And then the other book is a book, and I, for many years, meant to read it again and never have, but it is by Leon Uris, and it's called Exodus. And it's the story of the conflict and how things came to be. It's historical fiction, and it's a long and sort of tedious book because there's a lot of players and you get the specific names. But even though it's a historical fiction, it being historical in nature, there are a lot of concrete things that taught me about all the conflicts in the Middle East and how they reach the place that they are today. And I found it so fascinating and so illuminating that that book is one that I've always held kind of close to my heart. Well, and and I'm sure it, it gives you even a different thought pattern now, given where we are in the world with what's going on with Ukraine and everything. So I, I believe books come full circle for us at so many different times and spaces in our lives. And I do like the nine lies about work. That is a great book. I have read that. Okay. Third question. You get to have dinner with any leader of your choice. And the funness of this is this leader could be 
living or they could have passed away. Who are you having dinner with and why did you choose them? And what would be the dinner conversation? Well, I feel like I'm almost cheating with my answer because I want to say Alexander Hamilton, because after I saw Hamilton, the musical, I went and read the book that Lin-Manuel, I never remember his full name, but we know who he is, the creator of that. He'd read a book on Hamilton um, by Chernov, I want to say, or something close to that. It's super long. I mean, I did it as an audiobook. I think it was 32 hours. <laughs> it was an ambitious audiobook. And I learned so much about the founding of our nation and how things are. And my conversation, if I could sit down with Alexander Hamilton today, and hopefully he would have more knowledge than I do of what's happening in our country and why, I would ask him for solutions to changing it. Because the fact that we are such a partisan nation at this point, I think has crippled our ability to be a leader nation. And I would love to know ways to change that trajectory, ways for big leaders to do it and ways for individuals such as myself to do it. And my God, the man was brilliant. So, I mean, he'd have those answers, I think. Yes, indeed, indeed. So before we close out the show with my last question, I just want to say it was so nice to to have you on the show. And I was excited that you wanted to be on the show. And I'm so grateful that you've written this book because I think it's a nice way of demonstrating your heart-centered leadership and really putting to task some of the challenges that leaders are facing today. So I'm always grateful to my guests for spending their time and, and showcasing their expertise. But I think we got a little piece of your heart shown today on the show. So I'm super grateful for that. Thank you, Deb. And I really appreciate you inviting me to be on the show and and having such a lovely conversation with me and asking such such fun and interesting questions. (laughs) Thank you for that too. So we close out the show and I ask you to finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Important for individuals, for businesses, and for the world at large because it brings about humbleness and awareness and learning and growth. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.